0: Welcome to the CMS colloquium. My name is Chris Peterson. I'm an admissions officer here at MIT. I'm a graduate of the CMS master's program, and I occasionally teach in the department in the um, program of Comparative Media Studies. Uh, I'm here to introduce Walter Menendez. Everybody wave to Walter. Walter is waving awkwardly back to you. Um, Walter is an MIT undergraduate alumnus, class of 2015, where he majored in computer science and concentrated in comparative media studies. Uh, He was a TA for me in one of the courses that I taught, um, where he helped uh, me and the other students sort of understand stuff about the internet. He did a final project um, on a kind of proto-Buzzfeed quiz um, (laughs) to match your favorite color to your personality, because, as I quote from his paper, I like colors. Um, that wasn't the best undergrad. <laughs> when Walter was here, he lived in McGregor uh, and was a member of the First Generation College Project, which was really great. Uh, and now he lives in New York. And when he's not building infrastructure or BuzzFeed, he's doing CrossFit, uh, keeping actual bodegas in business, <laughs> and wearing literally all black literally all of the time. So without that, uh can we have Walter.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, But yeah, so yeah, uh, thank you very much for coming to my talk. Um, uh, Yeah, uh, it's basically what we're going to talk today uh, is basically how BuzzFeed makes stuff. It's kind of like the short form of this version. But yeah, I think I can control uh, from here. Cool. Yeah, so (laughs) one of these did it. Hang Hang on, there you go. Um, yeah, so uh, I was really excited to come back to MIT and talk about BuzzFeed related things just because um, since leaving MIT and coming to BuzzFeed I felt like I actually didn't really leave MIT, um, just in terms of the very experimental nature that M- uh, BuzzFeed takes when it comes to developing content and like figuring out all the nicks and crannies of how the internet works so that you know we can make content for it and then a lot of people see it and then everyone's really happy. Um, so yeah, so it's like I feel like, you know, I'm just right at home kind of talking about both. Uh, a lot of the things that I've learned at BuzzFeed, but also kind of just rehashing a lot of the things that I've relearned, or I learned in CMS. Um, so yeah, to kind of talk about just briefly who uh, who am I, um, yeah, um, this is also a very on-brand presentation. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, basically, uh, as Chris Peterson said, um, I was a computer science undergrad, um, so I know how to code. Um, uh, but I also hung out a lot in the CMS department and the MIT Media Lab, specifically within Fluid Interfaces and the Laboratory for Social Machines. Um, when I was in Fluid Interfaces, I worked uh, on Luminar, the augmented reality uh, platform. And when I was in the Laboratory for Social Machines, I did uh, my senior undergraduate advanced project on microtrend detection. So basically, there's this town in Spain that runs the city through Twitter, and the the professor I was working for at the time was obsessed with trying to figure out like trending topics within like, a, this like three thousand person town in Spain. So that's what I was working on then. Um, so all of my kind of like research at MIT kind of inspired me to pursue similar things in industry. So when I went to go do internships, uh, I first worked at Tumblr, where I was working on their trending tag infrastructure. Um, so that was kind of my first foray into like data science and data engineering work out in the real world, as they say. Um, And then I went to Mongo to go kind of just learn about like really how to handle big data. Uh, um, And there I was kind of working on their cloud monitoring infrastructure, so that had less to do with like social media but more just like big data, like what even is it? Um, Yeah, but ultimately it kind of like, a lot of my uh, sort of work kind of boiled down to sort of two main interests where um, I kind of was really interested in how people sort of interact with social media, that's kind of what I really cared about. Um, Like I knew I wanted to work in software um, but Uh, But the niche of it wasn't super obvious to me until, you know, near the end when I was like social media is kind of where I want to touch. Um, And then ultimately, you know, kind of like it's from a like public, you know, user and end user uh, perspective, I can clearly see like what people are doing on the site, but I'm curious as to like how we numerically represent engagement on platforms and how we kind of draw insights from that. So I was curious as to just basically what data looked like, especially also when you have millions of people using your platform. So like, you know, your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Googles, your Tumblr's. So just basically, you know, what, ha- like, what does it look like when a million people use your platform? Um, so it turns out BuzzFeed cares a lot about both of those things. So I thought, therefore, it was kind of a really cool opportunity to um, Kind of work, uh, kind of work at a company that really cares truly both about the data as much as the content. Um, and it really surprises a lot of people when they find out that BuzzFeed has an engineering department because they kind of think we're basically just all writers and we think that they all like you know there are, there isn't any sort of other need for any kind of other person at BuzzFeed. It's just writing. But really, actually, it's um like there are engineers, there are data scientists, there are product designers, there are like mobile developers. Like we have the run of the mill of kind of like tech people at BuzzFeed. So. Um, yeah and then our ecosystem in terms of you know learn, you know figuring out what works best with content also is very data driven so it's like there are a lot of numbers involved despite you know writing memes all day <laughs> um, and so yeah uh, so in case you haven't heard of BuzzFeed, this may be possible <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Just kind of like quickly uh, pulled off our masthead Uh, BuzzFeed is the leading independent digital media company delivering both news and entertainment to hundreds of millions of people around the world Um, So to linger on this for like three points um, the first is that we're a digital media company So kind of just emphasizing the fact that everything that we have done has always been for the Internet. Like we live on the Internet Um, up until recently we were only the Internet and it's only just until recently that we have decided that we should probably make real things, like real physical things that you can buy. But really all our business day in and day out has been digital content. Um, The second thing is uh, we deliver both news and entertainment. like a lot of people don't know that BuzzFeed has a news division, and we actually have like award winning journalists like uh we actually had some journalists uh journalists recently win a Pulitzer Prize um, so that's kind of cool um, but and I think it's really important that it's both news and entertainment, especially that uh, BuzzFeed's reader uh, audience is basically people of my age and probably people kind of like all our age in the audience here so to provide news in the same place where we are to consume all the same content, I feel keeps us like, kind of like informed and honest people about the world. Um, and also, finally, like really, this is the last interesting part: is the fact that we are delivering our content to hundreds of millions of people. It's the scale that I think is really what kind of blows people's minds. Being like, how are millions of people consuming BuzzFeed content? Like, why is that so successful? And if, and this is ultimately in a way like this is the why of our talk. Like, this is why I'm talking to you about this is because everything that I'm going to discuss has worked at scale. Um, and ultimately, um, yeah. And so, like, some more kind of like bragging. Um, we are the most watched channel on YouTube. We have over nine billion content views per month. Um, Tasty, Tasty. If you don't, if you know what Tasty is, uh, spoiler alert: it's a BuzzFeed property. Um, there, uh, that's the number one franchise on Facebook. We have over like five hundred individ- five hundred million individual readers. And then. Uh, Over 200 million people visit BuzzFeed.com and BuzzFeed uh, Buzzfeed apps directly. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, our scale is really big. And again, that's really why this is kind of worth talking about. Um, But yeah, and ultimately, uh, you're kind of, this is ultimately now the subject of the talk is how did we get here? and the fo- and really kind of the secret is like to spoil the thesis of this talk is that everything I'm about to explain to you, if you're coming from like a CMS background or just kind of you know sort of a basic understanding of how the internet works from like a social perspective, um, like none of this will surprise you. Um, but it's really the fact that all of this has kind of worked again at scale that's really kind of what's worth talking about. And yeah, really, it's like it's a really simple workflow um, in terms of you know. You know starting with content and then going to uh, going to the actual audience so That also probably won't be that surprising as well. So there's really no like major like super secret sauce here um, And ultimately, you know, we try to figure things out the same way that uh, pretty much any kind of uh, you know experimental or academic uh, Community will try to figure out is we just kind of experiment and try and try to iterate intelligently on ideas And pieces of content so that we can figure out what the next best thing would be um, so yeah um, but ultimately, so yeah, what I'm describing to you is a workflow, and it kind of looks like this, where basically we start in the center with people making stuff, whether it's lists, whether it's quizzes, um, news, anything, and ultimately this gets pushed to you know if you want to consider this like right-hand column the black box of our audience. This is ultimately how we reach our audience, and kind of in the middle is this sort of back and forth between like you know pushing content and then getting like signals out of our content performance. Um, and so for right now we're gonna focus on the left hand um, and then later we'll get back to sort of in the middle part which is actually where I live. Um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, but ultimately uh, the kind of core secret is that we focus on people. Like when we're thinking about ways that we make content we sort of focus ultimately on kind of like the end user engagement and the their kind of like emotional state that, the, that they'll have after reading our content. And also that like, you know, we want to focus on basically, you know, making sure that, you know, we're not just optimizing for eyeballs. Like traditional media houses will only really care about the number of people that saw a piece of content, which is, you know, still true for us, but we also care about sort of a much more substantial, substantial interaction beyond just you saw the page, liked it, and then left. Um, and then ultimately kind of asking, you know, this really simple question of what job does this piece of content perform? Um, so internally, we have this kind of uh, mental framework about thinking about the purpose of our content called cultural cartography, where we basically just think about all the, different way, the, all the different effects that a piece of content can have, and ultimately, you know, when we're thinking about what next to write about, we're thinking, you know, how can we propagate a certain effect or a certain emotion? Um, so, that's, so that's from like, the idea from a philosophical perspective. From a publishing perspective, the thing we're also optimizing for is sharing. As, as I said before, you know, it's not just enough for you to like, look at a piece of content, you know, enjoy it, and then leave. We want you to also then you know, take what you felt from a piece of content and then share it with other people, um, which is ultimately you know, why we care about you know, our content ending up on Facebook, and on Twitter, and on Pinterest, and on Tumblr, and you, know, you like finding it through search traffic and things like that. Um, it's to the point where, internally, we actually have a, like, a mathematical formula that weighs how much traffic your posts got from like, just like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, et cetera, versus how much it got on BuzzFeed. And it weights you know, traffic from those other platforms more than like BuzzFeed traffic. So clearly, like, we always want to think about you know, getting, you know, making sure that our traffic is getting to the farthest reach of people as possible. Um, and so yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, and if you think about sharing, sharing makes a lot of sense. Like it makes a lot of sense that we want to optimize for sharing. So to pull from something I learned in CMS, In CMS 400, we studied basically kind of the art and the importance of the GIF. I say it with a hard G. Sorry. Um, And, you know, we learned that basically the GIF is almost like the social currency of the internet. Like it carries emotion, it carries um, all this kind of like weight that, and in a way, like GIFs describe certain emotions and feelings and ideas better than you would have with your own words. Um, and, you know, if you remember the GIF project that came out of the MIT Media Lab, where its purpose was to present to you two GIFs and kind of tell you, like, which better expresses the given emotion. Um, so it's clear, you know, and it's clear that you know some people had clear ideas as to, like, what was what. So, um, you know, so like, you know, this is kind of like, you know, a proven idea. So it's like, if the GIF is the social currency of the internet, BuzzFeed wants to make our content the same kind of level of social currency as well. Um, thanks, CMS 400. Um, But yeah, it starts with brainstorming, right? Also when we're thinking about pieces of content. So like, yeah, like so just kind of understanding about what people want to see content about. Animals, people like cute animals. Music, people love to discuss music. Our sex content goes viral all the time. Fandoms, nothing is, it's really cool to see basically nerdy people get very annoyed at something, because they're going to talk about it and they're going to tell their other fellow nerd friends. So annoying fandoms is the quickest way to do that. Um, Instagram trends, people love seeing you know, just aggregations of things going on on in Instagram. Celebrities, people love keeping up, you know, there's a reason that Kardashians have a multi-million dollar empire. You know? um, and then ultimately, you know, quizzes. Um, but yeah, but basically, you know, the, the moral of the story here is that when we try to hit an audience, we're trying to hit an audience that we know is going to have a very adverse reaction, whether it's positive or negative. Um, and in a way this requires us to sort of really understand our audience to that degree to almost like anticipate what reaction they're going to have. Um, kind of like after the fact, what's happened is you know with all the different ways that we have you know made all this different content, our verticals have kind of come kind of after the fact where it's like, these are all the different ways that we like, you know, these are all the different things that we wrote about content. If we group them together after the fact, these are more or less the categories that kind of come up with. That. Yes? I have a question. Do you discriminate between
2: people who share photos and people who share JS? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is we do. that revealing or independent? Um In a way, yeah. Because um it's more from like a like a publishing logistical perspective because, for example, if they're on a like a device that doesn't handle loading GIFs well, um, then we may not want to you know serve it to that specific audience on a specific platform. Whereas, like uh, for example, Tumblr embeds tend to be very heavy on our site, which the, but they tend to usually be sort of image based. So when you know, so if we're seeing that like, everyone's using, tu- you know, viewing Tumblr content only on like BuzzFeed.com, like that's a signal to us as well that we interpret. Uh, that's like we should only maybe make Tumblr content for desktop. So things like that. Um, yeah. Uh, so a note about our verticals. These aren't our verticals, kind of like in the old school media sense. They're more so about, um, as I kind of said, being like we wrote a lot of content, and this is how we kind of grouped it together after we wrote it, like you know, a year ago. Um, and um, kind of a really notable example of. A Group that always tends to do really well is content about the 90s um, So I found this like really what I thought was this really eloquent tumblr post that kind of described why this is and it more or less just kind of says that Basically if you're a 90s kid you saw so much technology like like come into the world But then also be shut down at the same time that it basically and so much of this happened within the short period That it makes it kind of seem like you know the 90s was really far away when really like the 90s were pretty much half of your entire adult existence so um yeah, so it's like it seems really far away, but it really wasn't. Um, and to this point, right? Like this is like a really kind of like on point and nuanced definition of why this kind of con- that this demographic feels this way. And this is ultimately the kind of understanding that we have to develop for pretty much every single one of our like you know different communities that potentially would read our content. This is kind of like it's this detail that we have to think about. Um, and this is a, a level of detail that I have experienced in thanks to CMS six three four uh, designing mobile interactions, where we were basically prototyping like a mobile device all semester. Um, and one of the first things we did there was did, uh, basically coming up with like mock personas for the kind of person who would use our content. And we really had to sort of again like nail down their use cases, their daily behaviors, their like the, the problems that ultimately are being solved by. Our end user using our product, right? It's the same thing when it comes to thinking of, of a piece of content. We need, we want to sort of make sure that you know we're basically they're going to interact it in the with the way that we think they will. Um, and so yeah, and then ultimately kind of, you know, from you know if you're, if you're thinking about this again in experiment, we're basically you know taking a gamble. We're kind of sort of declaring that this is how we think our audience is going to react if we write the content this way, um, and then sort of saying so that's kind of what we mean by controlling sentiment is that we think that. The, you know, that's the effect that they're going to have, and as a result of that effect, they're going to actually then share it and sort of say, um, like, someone else needs to see this and like see how I feel, kind of thing. Um, but yeah. So here's kind of an internal example of just all the different. Like, this is just a visualization of all the different ways that we've categorized all the different effects that our content has. So you can kind of see, like, you know, it goes from funny, being like, oh, things that make you laugh, things that make you smile, to like things that annoy you, like. You know, there's a, like a W2F section, there's like a, a you need this, I need this kind of thing. And yeah, it really it's like we these are kind of like very specific like functions that our content runs. Um but yeah, but it's like we also think it's like they're kind of sort of again very very specific and very succinct to the point where it's like this is ultimately what we want, like this is kind of just how we think about it sort of internally. And then To kind of like collapse that into sort of a much more concise format. Um, So this is a slide from one of Zay Frank's uh, presentations. So Zay Frank is the president of BuzzFeed Motion, or sorry, BuzzFeed Entertainment Group. Um, So he's out in LA, he basically sees a lot of videos, has made a lot of videos. Um, But more or less like, um, this is kind of what all our kind of categories boil down to. It's like there's an emotional gift, or there's kind of some information to be gained by this content. Or ultimately, you know, this content resonates with some aspect of your very multifaceted identity, um, which um, is, you know, that th- that's ultimately why you like that's ultimately why you like BuzzFeed content. It's because it's hitting on all of these different pieces that um, that are so true to you or so true to other people. Um, the common example that say Frank Frank gives you is that um, if there's a video that helps explain some part of your friend's life that you didn't really fully understand before, like say they in some <laughs> condition, and we wrote a post about it. Um, like ultimately, like you know, now you kind of potentially have a deeper understanding as to you know what they feel if we kind of illustrate it for you in very you know kind of explicit detail. Um, and to that effect, an example post uh, that came out recently. So this was published, I want to say, like about last week. Um, it's a video called "Times My Doctor Didn't Listen to My Pain." Um, and this basically was a testimonial video of, uh, kind of a few women just exp- sharing their stories about how you know, they would go to you know, medical professionals, share their symptoms, and then, you know, The you know them you know sort of knowing that there was kind of a deeper medical problem at hand But all their doctors were dismissing them as just kind of normal like common symptoms of everyday problems And as a result they kind of dismissed them as oh you just have this thing just like wait it out Um, And obviously and then by the time they realized that they had an actual serious medical condition It had been severely progressed to the point where there was really no like uh, There there was going to be permanent damage to their like uh, manner of living so it, as you can see, this has thirteen million views already, just within a week of being published, um, and yeah. So so you, you can imagine, you know, the emotional, you know, the emotional gift here is that you know you feel, you feel, you feel bad, and you also feel angry if you're also this kind of per, uh, if you're also a woman who has had this problem and you talked to your doctor and they just kind of blew off your symptoms. Um, like this is a real problem that affects like, potentially half the population, um, and the really, the really interesting thing about this specific post. Um, So when I took Video Games and Culture CMS 616, um, we talked uh, a little bit about uh, concepts around embodiment and materiality and at one point we talked about basically how like living rooms and like households are arranged such that there's always this kind of notion of a game room where the basically it's all like the entire room is laid out such that the TV is in the center so that you know you could play with some kind of you know, traditionally ecstatic plug-in to the wall console. Um, and that's how the space for creating, you know, the physical space for you playing a video game is created in a household. Um, so digitally, you know, if you read the comments of this post, you will basically see tons of other women you know, sharing their stories in the same manner that the people do in the testimonial video. Um, where they're like, oh, this, this the same thing happened to me, like I told my doctor my symptoms, he didn't care. And what we've kind of done also as part of the emotional gift is we've created a space for people to come and talk about this in kind of a very like relatively like low barrier of entry way. Um, And and that's kind of I think also like a really cool thing about BuzzFeed's, uh, BuzzFeed's effect is that we give people the space to kind of talk about things that you know they really wouldn't really think to talk about kind of like otherwise. Um, but, you know, there's obviously something different to be said about when it's happening online with a bunch of people sharing kind of the same story and they don't necessarily, you don't necessarily know these people, but you know, like you're all feeling the same way. And that is really, again, like that humanistic connection that we were worried about back, you know, on that slide when we were saying, what job does this do? And it's ultimately brought people together to kind of share their story to be like, no, they're not alone. Um, and so, yeah, and the reason this is different is, you know, something like say, like Reddit, for example, like Reddit also kind of has that like ad hoc Kind of community where you know you join your subreddit, you are able to kind of talk about whatever specific niche your subreddit is about. But you know you have to join the re- you have to join the the subreddit, and potentially you only really wanted to consume like one or two pieces of content within that subreddit. Um, whereas for this kind of content, like this is probably on a platform you already use. Um, like you don't really have to you know sign in potentially to really see this. Like if this was posted on Twitter, you could see it the same way there, um, and you don't need to be signed in to necessarily see it. So. Like, in a way that's kind of, you know, if you're trying to think about sort of like a like almost an access perspective, like this is a, there's less kind of like gates around accessing this content so you can join the conversation, rega- and, and on multiple platforms as well. Yeah, uh, cool. So speaking of, um, another thing that BuzzFeed does a lot of is we, um, publish to kind of what we call distributed platforms. And what I mean by distributed platform is basically anywhere that's not BuzzFeed.com or BuzzFeed the app. Um, so for example, we have the BuzzFeed Twitter page. So the BuzzFeed Twitter page is effectively just us tweeting articles. That's really all it is. Um, the cool thing is that occasionally there's also a time when we will also just kind of publish a tweet that's just kind of commenting, like a one-off tweet that's almost like a live commentary tweet. Like, so for example, an example I remember a lot is when Frank Ocean started streaming his new album on, online. Y'all remember that? Yeah? Yeah? No? Never mind. Um, but when he started doing that, um, uh, like, we literally just tweeted, it looks like, but Frank Ocean is tweeting something or streaming something. And then all of a sudden, like, that individual tweet got, like, a lot of likes and hearts and whatever Twitter calls it now these days. And, um,. Like, that drove a lot of people to his site. And then when we wrote a write up, that drove people right back to our site so they could see our write up about Frank Ocean. So that's kind of really cool, you know. And again, that was just us simply tweeting. So it's like, for us, when we use. I was just, I see, you've got six, almost 6 million followers, but yeah. only, I'm just under 3,000 likes. That's yeah. a really extreme discrepancy. Is that, does that say yeah. something about the level of engagement? I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, because really the secret here is like we don't really care about the tweet. We care about the fact that they saw the post in the tweet. Uh-huh.
3: The, the likes are from the BuzzFeed account, not the oh, yeah. BuzzFeed Oh, also that. OK, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but
1: it. Um, yeah, I oh, yeah. about that. Good. Thank, thank you. Um, but yeah, so it's like, th- and this also basically lets us extend our editorial voice to other platforms, right? Like, if you don't use Facebook, um, like Facebook is our biggest source of traffic. But if you don't use it, you will never see our content. So it makes sense that we've tried to publish our content in as many different places as possible so that, again, we maximize the likelihood of you actually seeing it. Um, uh, another kind of flavor is you know, our Instagram pages. Right? Instagram is a very image-centric platform. Um, but then you think about, hmm, doesn't BuzzFeed only make text posts, at least on BuzzFeed.com? And while this is true, this has kind of, sort of made us think, what other forms can a post take? Like, can we potentially, you know, like, if we write a text post, but if we sort of make like almost like an avatar for our post, um, this list is distributed on this platform that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to really like distribute content on other than through like screenshots, which potentially might have not been the most native experience. And that's really the other thing is that, you know, we're trying to sort of see how we can write about BuzzFeed and write in our BuzzFeed voice, but in a way that's also native to the platform that you're actually consuming the content on. Um, and finally, one of my personal favorites, weirdbuzzfeed.tumblr.com. Um, we write some weird stuff every now and then, like some like really weird stuff, and it ends up here, and it's great. Um, <laughs> and um, I I just really like it because for a lot of our like you know less mainstream content, like there's still a place for it on Buzzfeed. There's still an audience for it, and Tumblr loves it. So you know there, there's that. <laughs> um, but yes, but here's just kind of an example. So like to the left is kind of just us basically simply posting like a meme. <laughs> um, like this is, you know, it's just a gif from the Adams Family where it's, you know, she's just like really excited about it, right? Um, and like, if you think about it, like there are a lot of meme pages on Facebook, right? Where it's literally just like a page that's just sharing an image that's a meme and you laugh at it and then you like share it to someone. That's, the, you know, because if we do the same thing that lets us mimic that behavior and kind of also boost that network as well, Same with Instagram, where we you know we can post memes on Instagram, and people seem to really like it there as well. Uh, So yeah, and also like this has led to a really interesting kind of post where sometimes we'll just post a series of memes, like in a photo set. Now that Instagram allows that, Um, which was that was really cool because then we could say like here's a bunch of memes that are kind of all interrelated, and then you just kind of sit there cycling through an Instagram post from BuzzFeed. Um, I kind of really like it. Um, Another really famous example is BuzzFeed Comics. You probably have seen a lot of these. Um, so from the right is from Adam Ellis. He's a really great uh, kind of um, yeah uh, comic writer. But yeah, just kind of thinking about you know you know not everything on not everything that we post to our distributed platforms needs to be an original post on Buzzfeed. So in a way, this almost like divorces that requirement and lets us be sort of very versatile as to what our content looks like when we're putting it on a on a separate platform. So. Yeah, like here's a comic, like there's no other like place, for, like there's no other form of this comic anywhere um, other than really like sort of the Instagram, so. That's kind of, so this is kind of like, you know, versatility from a like publishing standpoint. Um, so yeah, a kind of, so, so linger on kind of a, a slightly more famous example. So you've probably heard of the watermelon explosion. That was really cool. Um, so the way this started is, there was a producer out in LA who <laughs> Basically, took Zay Frank's office and filled it with goats. They thought this would be funny, um, which it was. And uh, they basically were just kind of waiting to see uh, when he would walk in, what, what his reaction would be. Um, uh, so, slight disclaimer: BuzzFeed was a, a paid small, a paid partner in the launch of Facebook Live, so we were contractually obligated to produce. I think it was like a minimum of like three hours of content per day on the platform. Um, so you know, in a way this is also you know, us, filling, us filling the requirement, but it was also us kind of experimenting, like what is Facebook Live like, good for? Like, what can we kind of glean from this platform? And so unexpectedly, this had about like, 90,000 concurrent viewers when it was live, um, which we didn't quite expect. Um, and then a really interesting effect was when the second day Frank walked in, uh, like, there was a burst of comments being like you know, enjoying his reaction. And then that number dropped to like, basically a couple hundred. Like you know, immediately, basically, as soon as Zay Frank walked in and like reacted, people had got what they wanted, and then they left. So that was interesting. Um, and so when we really think about this, um, so what is Facebook Live? Facebook Live is, you know, basically is you know, live video streaming to Facebook. Um, so in a way, it's almost like the closest thing to like live TV that we have directly on Facebook. That's not actually a live TV broadcast, right? Um, and. You know, from we know from like live TV is that the kind of the excitement about live TV is that you don't know what's going to happen, um, and so the interesting here, the interesting thing here is that we kind of did know what was going to happen, we just didn't know when it was going to happen, and so that kind of slight nuance on what was you know on kind of basically like you know the format kind of sort of forces us to really kind of think about like you know we don't know when that's going to happen, and that's something that we control. Well, what if we basically delay? that moment, we delay that moment of gratification, hence the watermelon. Um, So in a way this is kind of almost like us maximizing the anticipation around the watermelon. So the actual idea, so the idea is that a watermelon will burst under enough tension from enough rubber bands around its diameter. Um, So this, and like we had shown, uh, like we had showcased that idea often like a really old post, like for, like an old video forever ago. Um, But the difference here is that we were doing it live. And we didn't actually know how many rubber bands it was going to take. Um, and so we basically had two employees just in the middle of our cafeteria just start putting rubber bands on a watermelon. It was cool. Um, and yeah, this had over 800,000 people looking at it at once live on Facebook. And then it had several million offline views after the fact. Um, and so this so this was so this really showcases our ability to sort of just iterate on that idea. Like it started with something as simple as, hmm, people seem to like waiting for like a really like moment of gratification. Let's prolong that and control that ourselves. And so, yeah, so you know, us iterating on it, and also again, this is working on a completely distributed platform. Like, we didn't advertise this on BuzzFeed.com. This was only on Facebook. So you had to be in a way on Facebook to to kind of experience it. Um, so. Yeah, so that's really the beauty of distributed platforms. Um, and fun fact, um, if you consider all of, uh, way, like all of kind of like our ecosystem around distributed platforms, when you think of engagements, when you think of views, when you think of just everything around that, that accounts for over fifty percent of our traffic when you include that against Buzzfeed.com and Buzzfeed the app. So in a way, so in our early days, we used to care about people trying to get to Buzzfeed.com directly, but now. There's really no need to when it's like our distributed network is much more active and engaged than other platforms. Yes? Uh, how
3: does that impact kind of the business end of the publishing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it basically means that we now have to include distributed platforms as part of ad packages. And so you know, Facebook, like advertisers will come to us and say, hey, we want an ad on Facebook, but it's written by you. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that's ultimately where really the kind of interaction happens there. a yeah, we just basically have to sort of include distributed in sort of whatever ad conversation we have. Yep. Uh, can you touch a
2: little on the role of native advertising and how it shapes? Uh, what you decide those exactly.
1: a Uh that's a deeper question for later. So <laughs> hold that thought. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so we talked about so yeah we talked about distributed platforms and basically you know distributed platforms let, let us do all kinds of different things when it comes to publishing a piece of content. Um, but Really, like, there's no like, we could also kind of do the same kind of like variations with the content itself. Um, so internally, we call this adaptation, right? I mean, so when we when we mean adaptation is so consider a post, 22 things only pale people will understand. So now that you've considered it, um, so think about it. So you can imagine that you're reading this text post. It's going to be have a bunch of pictures of uh, pictures of pale people, and you're like, oh yeah, these are real problems that pale people have. Um, and then you're like, cool, that's awesome. Um, and if you're a pale person yourself, you're kind of like, yeah, this is, uh, yes.
2: But I have to ask, particularly because one of the reasons why I came here is to experiment.
1: Right? Yes. Do you test that? Do you test 23 things or 25 things? On Hold the that pale, Hold that part? thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and so you're kind of thinking, you know, like, it's only a text post though, right? And so this has limitations, and it's true. Like, the medium in which you publish things will have limitations. So what if you made it a video? Um, what if you all of a sudden basically like didn't limit yourself to that and really kind of saying, you know, really we're here, we're basically trying to sympathize with pale people. Well, there was another way we can do that through a more multi-dimensional way of doing it. Um, and yeah, and with video, obviously you get all these additional things. You get audio, you get moving image, you would now basically get to script the interaction that whatever actors are in the video are going to have. And so now you can just, you basically intensify the emotional reaction that, um, that you will have as a result of engaging with a piece of content, and same idea. This was on Buzzfeed.com. This is on YouTube. If you never go to Buzzfeed.com, you'll never you would never know about this post. But if you see it on YouTube, then you know kind of the same idea. So in a way, this is almost us being redundant with the same effect, but also trying to make it redundant, but also different at the same time. Um, and thus, the adaptation doesn't end with like um, just the you know conceptual changes. that also uh, comes with um, sort of like publishing logistics. So consider the post, 27 tons of posts that'll make you laugh and think all at the same time. Um, and again, if you never come to BuzzFeed.com, you would never see this post. But if you post it on Snapchat, you would, potentially, right? Um, and the nice thing about this is that you know when we publish to Snapchat, like obviously Snapchat makes us package our content in a slightly different way. All the platforms that we kind of engage with kind of make us do something specific about it. Um, so in a way, we also like, you know, in a way this kind of forces us to sort of make our assets and all of our content like, you know, basically versatile enough such that we can sort of package it in a different way um, for an entirely different platform that basically asks different, basically has different requirements for us. Um, but yeah, that's really something built together. So kind of putting this all together, um, there's uh, this format that we call social news, and by format I mean just kind of a basically a form of you know content and a form of aggregation that we'll put on BuzzFeed.com. So like you know kind of like a list, kind of like a quiz. Um, this is just another means of you know producing a, a piece of content, um, and this kind of takes several forms. Um, so consider like 18 hilarious Tumblr posts that are about Australian food. Um, that's a thing that people are posting about on Tumblr. Um, 21 tweets that are funny because they're fucking true. Um, So, like, you're weird if you're on holiday and you don't go up to your hotel room and lay on the bed naked, eat and laze. Apparently that's weird if you don't do that. Um, And then people are giving celebrities rhyming nicknames on Reddit and the results are hilarious. Uh, So, so what we're doing here is, so it's kind of twofold. It's one uh, kind of aggregation of Social media events across different platforms, right? And we're bringing them back to BuzzFeed. But what it also is, is us kind of like capturing a trend and seeing like this is kind of a thing that's happening in real time. Um, we're almost kind of like trending, like kind of like trending tags on Twitter or like trending topics on Twitter, but kind of done for the rest of the internet. Um, and in kind of like my personal opinion, I haven't really seen another platform that kind of does this kind of well, like you know, I haven't really seen that many other platforms kind of talk about um, kind of social media in this kind of like really nice curated and aggregated way, other than Reddit, which was kind of just like a wild west of aggregated content, so that's different. And the thing we're also adding here is like we're adding kind of our own commentary, right? Where we're kind of saying like um, like this is happening and people seem to find it funny. It's like we're basically reporting to like as this is where like a news, like a news flash, like this is happening. Um, <coughs> And so in a way, we're almost kind of like providing you like a highlight reel of other places online. So, And again, going back to that distributed platform idea, like if you were never on Twitter, you would never clearly see these tweets, and you would kind of miss out on that opportunity to engage. So this is a, kind of a, a way for us to include people in a conversation that's happening on a platform they would otherwise never join in on. Um, so again, kind of maximizing that inclusivity across the board. Um, Other very famous example, The Dress. Um, You are all triggered, great. Um, The Dress was just a complete runaway moment for us. This got 37 million views, and per our server logs, there were 600,000 people looking at this post at any given time. Um, That's a lot of people and a lot of overall views. And so the thing thing that was really successful about this is it's kind of all over the place, right? Like you had this very controversial image that you were kind of like, what is this and the cool thing about it is that there was actually like some like science involved with the image right like the whole like, sort of science around like you know how you interpret colors and things like that um, I see blue and black just so you know um, and ultimately like the the point here is that like not only did not only did we want to post the question to our audience right like we want so like, hence why you see the poll badge on the on the article um, we, so and then we not only wanted to ask the question, but we also wanted to include people in the controversy. Like And in the same way, we also wanted to add our, we want basically BuzzFeed also wanted to participate in the conversation. And we wanted BuzzFeed to be the medium in which people were talking about this post. So kind of like, sort of like piggybacking on an already viral topic and incorporating our own scale not only boosts the conversation about this, but it boosts BuzzFeed's presence and voice on this topic as well. So, it kind of is just like a multiplier effect on an already kind of viral subject. Um, and so, yeah, that was really cool. Can I ask you a
3: question?
1: Yeah. Are you like contemporaneously modifying the content based on like where
3: people are clicking and and like using like, um, like you know, you like take comments and figure
1: out what's the most relevant to like um, Yes and no. Um, so, to spoil the answer to his question over here, um, like we do AB, yeah, we do AB test like content length, yeah. but obviously there's also like journalistic integrity that kind of plays into the, the, right. to the matter. So it's like for certain things, like we don't necessarily take like individual items out. Like we don't censor ourselves like that. Um, but yeah, like we do play with variants, and at the end we'll kind of like publish the final variant if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so cool. So this entire time we've been kind of talking about the left box and the right-hand column, um, and so kind of now for me this is an opportunity for me to like switch hats and talk about the middle. So as I said at the beginning, the middle is actually where I sit. Like my title is Data Infrastructure Engineer. So whenever you see data coming out of a box, that's, that's me, hi. Um, so yeah, so this is going to be a brief foray into computer science and engineering if, yeah. <laughs> I kind of have to talk about this because this is like my job. Um, so it starts with impression collection. Um, when we collect an impression from a piece of content, we obviously want to know as much metadata about you visiting this piece of content as possible. So that includes the timestamp. That includes like what URL you were visiting. That includes what device you were on. That includes the IP you came from. Uh, all of our content, when we publish to distributed platforms, is set up such that we know on page landing where you came from. So if you came from Facebook, if you came from Twitter, if you came from uh, Tumblr, like we know that. Um, and then, yeah. And so like ultimately, like this is basically as far like like this is how we control the granularity of our analytics is that we define it basically in this impression collection event. Um, and so yeah, when we kind of just collect a bunch of things, we also then mimic this with mm-hmm. us kind of lining up with like, oh, when did we publish this? Like when, did, when are we publishing other things so that we kind of know how to sort of like sub-distinguish you know, traffic streams and things like that. Um, this collection also includes uh, when we collect impressions from third party platforms, so Google Analytics. Facebook's, just Facebook's impression API, Twitter's impression API. Um, fun fact, when we get data from Snapchat, they give us a CSV, <laughs> that's kind of unfortunate. Um, but yeah, we throw that in here as well. So it really starts with co- kind of basically building a really robust collection pipeline. Um, so from an engineering standpoint, like without your fire hose, you basically don't have data. And this is ultimately, like uh, I said there was no secret sauce really in, t- in the BuzzFeed world, but if you want to consider data the secret sauce, that'd be a pretty solid bet um And so once we have this data flowing into our systems, we can do all kinds of things with it.
2: Um, I hate to you, but you're doing impression management from Facebook. Do you tag that? Is there a difference, a qualitative or measurable difference in the signal you pull from a Facebook impression or a Facebook audience
1: yes. impression
2: than Okay, that's
1: yeah. And this is both from like, like us looking at comments also, but then also like the way that Facebook physically defines an impression is different. Right. So like for us, we care about did we receive that collection event or not. Facebook, for example, they define a view on Facebook for a video as three seconds. So like Facebook says, oh, this has a ton of views. But then we're like, well, how many views did it actually get, right? Like, you know, So we need to do that almost like reconciliate our analytics versus what they're telling us, That's right? right. Okay. So, yeah. Um,
2: and you own reconciliation. Yes. And there may be a fight between you and the course. advertiser yeah. or
1: something. And also then, Facebook will just tell us that they're giving us wrong data, and then we have to disambiguate it ourselves. So there's also that debugging pain. Um, but yeah, so once we have this firehose set up, we can do all kinds of things with it. Um, so there's the real-time kind of analysis that we do. So that's kind of like this section right here, where we put it into Cassandra, which is a database optimized for like heavy write. Um, and then we also then put things kind of offline into, hi Terrence, uh, into sort of this big database where then data scientists, analysts, product people can then query it at ad hoc whatever they want to do with it. Um, and that's just it sitting inside of ADA, uh, Amazon's uh, Redshift. And then from there, we also then you know, set up our business intelligence layer on it. And then we can also set up email reporting. Um, when data scientists wants to do like, more complex calculations or like, really simple calculations over like, gigabytes and gigabytes of data, then potentially they'll use like something like Apache Spark for a MapReduce job, um, and things like that. We also have like within our kind of analytics ecosystem, we also have a lot of Slack bots that you can kind of configure based on you know, when your post has reached a certain threshold, when your post has reached a certain goal. Um, this also is also kind of part of our ecosystem that also tells us like when we think a post is a great candidate for translation, um, which is kind of a big thing. Uh, we haven't talked about, trans- about translation, but that is a thing that we do consider. Um, but yeah, and this is mainly just to kind of tell you like these are the tools we're using. So for my like CS people in the audience, like this is what we're using. Um, if you like these things, we're hiring, <laughs> I should say. Um, so, but yeah, but yeah, here's an example. Um, so this is kind of some of the real time stuff I'm talking about, where, um, you know, we we our editors want to know the second they can what how a post is doing. So we'll basically distinguish between real, you know. Uh, the kind of C traffic, where C traffic is BuzzFeed tra- traffic that's going to BuzzFeed.com and BuzzFeed the app, versus viral traffic, which is, again, those distributed platforms that we've been talking about. Um, this post in particular is a news one, and news is actually heavier on seed than viral, in fact. Um, and so yeah, so we can kind of be able to see just basically in real time like, what the traffic like, is like. Um, same with the like, traffic breakdown. Like, where are people coming from? Our editors also want to know that as soon as they can. Um, And yeah, so it's like, we have some kind of like, some known platform, right? Hence why like, Twitter, email, Facebook, and Google. turns out, every now and then, we'll get a post that has a lot of email traffic, and we always get very confused by it, because we're like, okay. Um, All right. Uh, It tends to be among senior citizens, really, because there's like a million posts and links and stuff. So really old school, but hey, again, we have to know that. Um, This is also the way that we find out about like, new platforms, because every now and then, we'll see like, a you pay like a Traffic platform that we don't recognize, and we're like, what is that? And you know, that's also how we stay informed about like, oh, should we be publishing to that platform? Is that like a space to potentially cultivate our audience? Um, so if you saw that, if you, if you saw like the phones A or or something, would you increase the cap size? Would you, like, you so? Potentially, yeah. Um, like internally at BuzzFeed, there is like an accessibility initiative where we're thinking about like, basically, how people with any kind of like sort of uh, any kind of condition that would ultimately not let them enjoy BuzzFeed content. Uh, if normally, like basically figuring out, like, can we toggle that and kind of basically customize the experience for them. So we are thinking about that. So my experience might huh? like be different than the person sitting next to me. Huh? The same page. My experience might be different than the person sitting next to me. It could be. Yeah. We have again. We haven't done much product work to actually make that reality, but we're thinking about doing something like that. Um, and so yeah. Um, and then yeah. So for the person who asked me about A/B testing, yeah, we A/B test pretty much everything. Um, we maybe test the headline, we maybe test, we, we test the number of the headline as well. Like, you know, there, I forget like what it was, but it's like, there's that one study that says like people are more likely to click on like odd numbers versus even numbers. I don't know. Um, we also test the thumbnail that's shared, or the thumbnail that's rendered when you post to Facebook or Twitter. Um, because sometimes people don't even look at the headline, they just see an image, and they're like, wait, what is in this image? So, big, How are you changing out that OG image? So are like, how are you testing those OG images on the fly? Um, we ba- like we basically publish multiple variants of a single post, and okay. then like internally, like, when track is coming in, it's also tagged with the variant of the post. Okay. And so internally, there's a tool that lets editors sort of see like which combination and which like has then ultimately won. Um, and that process, and given our scale, it takes about an hour or two hours to sort of like finalize the variant. Um, uh, yeah, and, we, and so we also A/B test the length of the post. Um, and a really cool thing that is that you know based on internal models and internal baselines, we will then also assign a trending badge, so the actual like famous Buzzfeed arrow to a post to say, oh, this post is really hot and is doing better than our baseline expectations. So, um, so yeah, so like yeah, we really care about sort of about uh, testing everything. Yes. How much of that is automated and how much involves an interaction of an end? Um, setting up the variants obviously is. Done by an editor, but once it's all set up, it's all just plug and play. And the the winning post automatically wins after X amount of days. Not necessarily. Um, The editor can sort of toggle, like, do they actually want to publish the the winning variant or not? Things like that. Um, Sometimes it's like we are just curious what happens, but like ultimately, there's ultimately like again, sort of editorial control. Like, if they want to settle on that variant because that's how they wanted to write it, that's what ultimately will settle.
2: And Um, and you track which editors are right versus the ones. (laughs)
1: I mean, not necessarily right or wrong, just kind of it's like, we just, we, it's data, right? It's just another piece of data within our ecosystem. But what I'm saying,
2: an editor keeps promoting something that un- oh, I forms, see. then you, do you remove it?
1: That, yeah, that we don't necessarily try. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. um, but, yeah, and so, yeah, naturally, so this slide's really boring because I, I feel like these analytics are boring. But, um, but yeah, we always care about sort of the, like, more old school, like, uh, kind of metrics and signals that, like, other like other media houses will care about, so they care about like the daily active user account, They care about like month over month engagement growth. Um, uh, impression depth is kind of another thing we'll talk about, being like you know if we publish ten posts, like what's the distribution of traffic across ten posts? Like are they viewing all ten posts? Things like that. Um, and watch time, like now that uh, the, ind- like the industry standard around video is kind of shifting towards understanding watch time and less so like impressions around a video, more so like you know if you have a ten minute video, are people watching all ten minutes? If you have a fifteen-minute video, people watching on fifteen minutes. Like, how much of the, the video are they actually watching? Um, and yeah, and this is also what our ad, like our advertisers actually care about. Um, I again I haven't really talked much about advertising, but like we also have to care and keep these like sort of more old-school and offline metrics because that's what our, like that's to, in order to help us talk to our advertisers because they might not necessarily be necessarily on board with all the like newer real-time metrics that we have, like like the share rate that I mentioned before. Um, So this is basically us being able to just keep, like, still be able to talk to our partners. And then finally, just a last bit of distribution network, like, you know, everything goes to BuzzFeed, Buzzfeed BuzzFeed.com, but not necessarily everything goes to all distributed platforms. So thinking about, like, where to publish it, also, like, when to publish it. So, for example, we found that quizzes, um, uh, quizzes tend to get a lot of engagement on the weekends, which kind of makes sense, because, um, they're a really involved uh, kind of format. You have to sort of like think about what you want to answer. Spoiler alert! It doesn't actually matter sometimes. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so like you know, thinking basically just like you know, publishing logistics, and then finally like when to promote. So. You know, internally we have this concept of of promoting a post. It basically means, you know, if a post is doing really well, again, we want to maximize the number of people seeing it. So we'll maybe publish it to another platform that we didn't necessarily publish it to the first time, or maybe publish it to a platform we know has more traffic. And so basically, like the Buzzfeed effect, as we kind of call it, is basically just boosting a post traffic to get even more impressions. So as you're kind of thinking from a stats background, like instead of like a long tail distribution, it's like there's a bump, and then when at promotion, there's like a second bump. It keeps set of traffic on the post. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of it. Like, there's so much I haven't talked about. Um, like, Tasty, like, again, like BuzzFeed's property there. Worth It, um, if you know the Worth It series, like, that's really huge now and it's getting more views than most average TV shows. Um, again, I didn't talk about any of our, like, advertising ecosystem. And I also didn't really tell you much more about, like, tech outside of, of, of the analytics layer. Like, there's a lot of machine learning work that's going on for, like, kind of customizing the BuzzFeed experience per person that we really haven't the, that we're still kind of like, you know, experimenting with. Um, but, um, you know, those are things that are going on across the organization, so. Um, is, that, is the machine learning stuff a threat to you or a compliment to you? Um, neither, because that is independent of what I do. Like, you still need the data to go into that machine learning pipeline, right? So it's like, it keeps me in a job. <laughs>
2: but I, 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 hold on a second. Hmm. I, so, you can, the stuff that you're doing, yeah. I can absolutely imagine using that as a, a train to automatically do some of the collection. The yeah. That you're doing. So that will either free up your time or it may reduce what it is you're
1: doing. Sorry, so by machine learning I mean they're doing machine learning on the actual impression data. On the impressions, right? so, yep. so not on the production No, date. no, no. no, no. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I, like, like, okay. I was like, no, that's my job. But, um, <laughs> And, um, but yeah, but it's like, but so much of like, you know, our BuzzFeed ecosystem, you know, like, yeah, there's so much more tech that we just didn't talk about. It's mainly my point there. Um, and so, but yeah, but this is ultimately, this is what we do. Like, and as I said, like really, it's just really straightforward, kind of just like really careful ideation, really thoughtful, uh, iteration. And yeah, that's ultimately, you know, basically the size. Um, and, oh, that's it. So, yeah. I saw your hand,
3: so what's up? Yeah, so I'm curious. You mentioned the sort of idea of participation Mm -hmm. with your content and how you see sort of the data you're keeping an eye on. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how, when it comes to participation, my own experiences on YouTube kind of threads with garbage fires. How how does BuzzFeed tackle curation and moderation when it comes to how participation happens on all of these different
1: platforms? Yeah. so. We really haven't, is I guess kind of the answer there. Um, internally, there was a mini kind of like hack week project that um, someone did to potentially like try to extrapolate the important ones. Um, it didn't really get very far. Um, and like what we kind of just learned from trying to manage that is that it's just there's really no one good way to approach it. It's like you either moderate everything, and therefore you need to basically pay someone to approve comments day in and day out, which is a miserable job, and you would never want to do that, or it's you. Like let anything go, and basically, you know, only sort of ban people kind of after the fact, right? So, like, we don't really have a good answer to that, and we like otherwise we like we just kind of you know, just do our best to like cherry pick what we know is good and what we know is bad, and just look at that. So when it comes to cherry
3: picking Mm -hmm. or sort of reacting and banning after the fact, have you found interesting sort of responses like, does removing your comments on a YouTube thread or something? How does that affect the dialogue? Like what happens when that happens? On our side
1: nothing really. Like we don't we, we don't mind that. I mean, if anything, like if a comment gets getting like deleted or something, it's because of the rules of the platform itself, right? Like like YouTube I think has like a spam moderation and just like enough demands so hides it. I mean, Reddit also does that, right? Where it's like you if, if a score if a comment reaches a score below sort of threshold, it just hides it, right? So it's like if that happens then, you know, that's the platform kind of answering that question as opposed to you know not really uh, not, not really us intervening. So we basically we have no idea. Yeah. Yes? In terms of metrics, when do you say
3: that something's trending and when it's final?
1: Um. Yeah, when something's trending it's just basically, yeah, like that's getting sort of maybe like more engagement and more impressions based on like the kind of like publication window. So like say like we posted it like like we, you know, expect maybe the post to get a couple million views and we expect it to get in like you know two or three days. But if it's getting like a million views like today and like in two hours, like that's trending. Viral would be like, you know, it hit all kind of like all our checkboxes, like it hit all platforms, it got a ton of views, like people were sharing it, people were commenting about it like crazy. Um, and then really, like, you know, someone wrote a press write-up about it, right? Like the watermelon, the dress, like are, are worth it, tasty. That, you know, in a way is being like, you know, that has truly been a viral success to the point where it's like other people are talking about it. Do you have
2: any magic too. numbers or rule of thumbs for that? Um, not that I can share. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw you. Um. I wonder if you could talk a little bit
0: about. I know you mentioned um, the aggregate posts. Yes. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about the ethics of attribution, especially coming from websites like Reddit, where yeah. you know I've seen some websites repost content from, for example, in advice subreddits where people are posting content. And um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about how Buzzfeed deals internally with that.
1: Yeah, so it's like whenever we grab something from somewhere else, we cite where we got it from. So kind of just you know doing our due diligence to say like you know this is where we got it. Um, usually our audience at this point is good enough to sort of tell us that if something is like clearly like, ripped off, like they'll immediately tell us like hey Buzzfeed like like they'll will like, be like you know that's like someone else's property that's my thing as you know we'll try to like do our due diligence to sort of like amend the situation. Um, it's to the point where people email like product support being like hey like. This is really bad. You should fix this and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, like we try our best, but yeah, yeah, as with any problem on the internet, like there's only so far we can get to without sort of someone actually like saying something. And be like, no, that's totally wrong. So, yeah. But that's really yeah, like that's a, kind of just what we do. yes.
2: Uh, you mentioned with the dress post that yes. you were directing people specifically to BuzzFeed to take part in there. You could theoretically do that in a bunch of different platforms. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering how you guys decide what platforms you want them to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we just draw from, like, past learnings. And again, we kind of, like, you know, take those, like, niche communities, like, take, kind of, like, take the subject matter, take the platform and see, like, based on the history of that combination, like, what it's done. So it's, like, you know, for something like, uh, you know, Twitter tends to be really good at polls, right, because Twitter has this feature natively. So, you know, when, once Twitter implemented that, we saw a lot of, like, engagement with polls, like, just natively within Twitter that we then converted into a post. Um, And things like that and also that you know we in a way sort of combining results, right? So it's like based on the results of the Twitter poll and based on the results of the BuzzFeed.com poll We combine the results and be like this is the overall poll results. So yeah, so yeah just kind of like you know looking at the like just the combination of like, you know, is that a good thing to do? Is that a smart move? Um, So yeah, just yeah, just looking at past results. Yes? How often are you guys
3: like uh, recycling content, I guess? you said like there was the 27
1: Things about pale people, and you made yeah. that video. Was that like, you know, two days apart? Or was that six months apart? Where you we were trying to, you know, yeah. cover pale people again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's at the discretion of the editor, the editorial team at that point. Like, for example, we do a lot of content about periods. Um, like, there are so many posts on BuzzFeed.com about periods. Um, you know, people want to talk about periods, um, and you know, so it's like obviously there is some moderation that has to happen there in terms of like, well, oh, we can't do that like every month, otherwise, then it gets really tired. But then also, you know, if there's kind of like a really hot trending topic, like for example, Game of Thrones concept, when Game of Thrones is in season, like, well maybe like, you know, we'll write a uh, we'll do a post about the the episode. We'll do like a post about our reactions to the episode. We'll do a post about like, oh, here here's like all these details about the episode you missed. But are really important given the rest of the blog. Um, things like that, right? So it's like, you know, and that's kind of just spinning off one episode, right? So like for one episode, it may have like 10 posts. Um, so it really depends on the subject matter. Um, and, but yeah, it's like we'll try to obviously you know keep some metric of like, yeah, like we wrote about this very recently. We shouldn't do that again. Yeah, and it, it also depends on you know if the producer's you know been here a while. So it's like it's also on institutional memory. So it's like if the producer that made like a really you know good post about like dogs has left the company, and then like maybe a producer comes along you know a few years later, and it's like oh I want to do that again. Um, so yeah, there might be years in between kind of us recycling. But yeah, but yeah. So, so to answer your question, you know it it varies. It it varies
2: with everything. Yes? So I want to go back to part of your your impression management. Yes. So let's say a new Apple phone comes out Mm -hmm. and there's a new API Mm -hmm. that gives you finer granularity just to connect with the larger typeface kind of thing Mm -hmm. where you can see how people play with the screen to see something larger or play it again or just inter-engage more Mm -hmm. with that. How big of a deal is that for you? And you put a team on it to say, okay, this is the kind of behavior from an Apple group. We can say that with a certain degree of confidence, a certain portion of Android, you know, Samsung and yeah. people will emulate that kind of behavior. And this allows us to customize things or put it a GIF or whatever. If, you do that level of granular is, is is changing an impression ABI a marginal thing for you or a big honking deal in terms um, of, kind of
1: analytics? It is pretty trivial. Because basically, like, again, so like that pipe that I showed you, like that is a very, like, that is a completely agnostic pipeline. It pretty much will take anything you give it, um, obviously, with a few, like, you know, data format, like questions. Um, but in terms of, like, yeah, uh, the engineering pattern there that happens a lot is basically like, a team, like, they, yeah, there will be a team that is all of a sudden sort of assigned the task of figuring out, like, is that data we can get? Because ultimately, like, we always want more data if we can get it, right? And so, you know, we'll assign a team to be like, hey, get this data into our pipeline somehow. And that involves basically working with the source data in order to get it into our um, into our pipeline. So for example, like with that Snapchat CSV that I mentioned, like we basically have to write like a cron job that downloads the CSV and then emits it as like that JSON wad okay. to uh, to our pipeline so we can collect it. So yeah. So like the ingestion is trivial, the formatting is maybe not the easiest part, but yeah, getting it in is fine. Uh, yeah. So
2: my colleague raised a point earlier about uh, BuzzFeed reposting information. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could uh, respond to uh, a question on BuzzFeed reposting sensitive information from places where people are sharing in confidence, or they're very personal, especially in light of the fact that BuzzFeed's making money out of this. So what does that ethical process look like?
1: Um, that one might be quite outside of my ability to comment on it. Um, I mean, I know that editorial like, you know, editorial and sales, like, you know, sort of used to run those sales like church and state. Like they wanted to kind of divorce sort of the two processes so that edit can sort of run creatively and independent, you know, creatively independently from it, like sales. But at the same time, sales would be paying attention to what, uh, to what editorial was doing based on like, like adverti- like advertising feedback and, um, um you know, just basically being like, oh, you know, our advertisers want to see more of this. Like, they really care about, like, this particular kind of post. Or like, oh, like, our advertiser wants this kind of post and no one's really writing about it, right? Like, um, so like that, you know, they, they keep a very carefully curated, like, dialogue kind of about that. And so when it comes to something like that, where we, you know, potentially repost sensitive information. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't really comment quite as to, like, you know, our, her, like, personal stance on that. But yeah, I imagine that, like, someone in editorial is thinking about it. And I imagine also someone from legal is thinking about it as well. So we do have internal uh, internal council sort of thinking about those matters. So, yeah. So like I'm not the one to ask about that, but someone inside of Buzzfeed I hope is thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
2: So you mentioned the Buzzfeed um, A/B test story length. Was that only lists or also regular text stories? And then I was text stories. And then I was also wondering like how in practice does that happen? Like does the writer actually write the list at two different lengths? I was thinking it would be time consuming on the writer's part yeah. to actually go through it.
1: Um, so, yeah, we do, so the first question was, oh, yeah, is so it, it is, it is all. for all kinds of things. So we've also done this with places where it's like, what if we only need to ask six questions versus seven? Um, what if all the questions only had two options versus three? Um, so, you know, things like that, so we'll test that. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, like, they actually will write. They write the longer one. The write the longer, the longer one, years. yeah. But potentially what, what really happens is it's like the longer one, or the shorter one is actually just the longer one minus the last two sections that, right, like if, if something like you know again like twenty one tweets that you find funny, like you know you can easily imagine just strike the last two, strike the first one, strike three and four. So we try to keep it malleable for the editors, so it's not making it too time uh, Yeah.
0: To go on the same line of thinking,
2: um, when you're A/B testing, are there multiple versions of the page living on the website at the same time? And then what happens when like you decide on a winner? Does that post get like deleted or like?
1: Yeah, so so it's not necessarily like we create like a completely separate like HTML like you know it's completely separate asset. What it basically just be is like you know in the rendering layer on BuzzFeed.com is that's where like the um, that's where we'll toggle actually how many how much of this poster render. So it's like it's kind of done dynamically in that sense. And then um, yeah. and then um, your second question was what was it? That's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like that. That's ultimately what we're doing. Um, so yeah. Yes.
0: Um, have you found that your agents like artificially like trending this by I maybe mean, like
2: creating a look the trending sticker on it, and then going off the, like how important
1: do you think the actual content is as opposed to like where it is in the UI, versus like is on the top of the list, is like in the tablet header um, gallery that you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the first question. Um, yeah. I mean. Um, we well, sorry I blanked on it. What was it? Oh right. Uh, you asked us. Uh, no sorry. Just to remind again. Oh yeah. So there were times that we've done this like accidentally because of a bug. Like we accidentally placed the trending badge on something. Um, did we see a small spike as a result? Like a small one, but not not nothing to write home about, right? So and then the second one in terms of, like where we actually placed the trending badge. <laughs> Um, I don't think anyone has actually ever done kind of an experiment around that. We just kind of put it next to the headline because that's where we post, post everything out of design consistency. Sorry, not the badge,
2: but like the actual
1: So you but know, we have like the like, banner at the top. <laughs> Mm-hm. So you have... Oh, the, thumb, the thumbnail strip. Yeah. The yeah. Oh, does like, does that, does that improve performance? Yes. It does. Um, so it was really funny. Um, so actually, we can <laughs> go to BuzzFeed right now. Um, who doesn't love doing that? Um, uh, Buzzfeed.com. Okay, here we go. So here's Buzzfeed.com, in case you haven't been. Um, yeah, so this is actually like V2 of the homepage. Um, and when we first rolled out V2, the number of users that complained to us about not having this strip was so many, because it turns out that some people like skip all this and they just look at what's up here. So, like, yeah, it totally matters that we put something there. Yeah. Yes? You mentioned Sidebox notifying you about post-reaching re- sort of, like, uh, that Yes. Do you write those? Are they publicly available? Uh, we write those internally, yeah. OK, Uh you, in the back.
3: Thanks. Um, so I didn't see a lot about, like, actual like clickbaity
1: titles, mm-hmm. or clickbaity content. Um, yeah. Is that something BuzzFeed's still doing a lot of? Are you getting away from them. Like. Um, yeah, I mean, like we're define defined roughly as, like, set ant- linguistic patterns
3: and set anticipation that might or
1: might not be met in the article. Yeah, I mean, we've refined our style guide a lot over the years. Like, for example, we don't actually internally refer to lists as like listables anymore, like, because that's just not what we want to call them, like, and yeah. we don't think it's really worth it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do we occasionally still write like, a very clickbait article? Like, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, in some sense, sense so it's all That's not quite what I mean. Yeah. It's like, it seemed like this was all about matching some Actual, like the content behind the yeah. should match some emotional make some emotional <coughs> connection with the user. Yeah. yeah. Is that a change? we've be always been about that? We've always been about that. that? Yeah. That? Yeah. I mean in our early days we were kind of almost like just a different version of Reddit, but just like curated. But as we started hiring our own editorial of like writers to write that, like we've always been about like how can we really like Maximize and, get, and increase. Yeah, so like that share rate number that I mentioned, like that number has been defined inside of Buzzfeed for like pretty much its entire existence. Um, like so, yeah. And Buzzfeed's ten years old at this point, so like that, that, that number's been around for a while. Yes.
3: Uh, you mentioned that you were uh,
1: partners with the Facebook
0: Yes. Were you guys involved with the No. Yes. Have you ever personally asked Jonah Peretti if BuzzFeed is the final realization of his undergraduate thesis on Frederick Jameson's capitalism and schizophrenia? And if not, can you please troll him in on my behalf? <laughs> so yes, um, I have not asked him that. So I can. Thank you. Okay. Yes? Uh, if you can, um, how often do you get solicited to be in BuzzFeed videos? Actually, so are you able to
3: say no if you don't
1: want to be in them? Yeah, so that's actually not like, that's well, not we'll like something a You've been in several. Uh, let's see. I've I've been in like three. <laughs> no. It kind six. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, okay. Um no, yeah. I mean, that's not like a someone hits me up kind of situation. There's like casting calls internally. Um so this is actually kind of fun. I mean yeah, I obviously didn't talk about anywhere video pipeline. But um like so the reason why you see BuzzFeed employees in videos and only BuzzFeed employees in videos is um my own injury. That, well, th- no, but that no that is a good thing, but also that like, so for example, since most of our videos are made in LA, um, LA has SAG, and basically like, when you have a SAG like, actor in your video, like, there are certain rules around that, and like, just given a lot of the nature of our content, we can't meet those rules, so we can't have a SAG actor in our, in our thing, um, but you know who can be, another BuzzFeed employee, so, yeah, and like, really like, the... The success of individual Buzzfeed employees was kind of accidental. Um, like we didn't obviously intend for them to like blow up on their own, like because we, we want them to still work for Buzzfeed. And so like, like yeah, there have been all kind of like interesting discussions about like keeping people, like you know, basically just like keeping, like, making sure that they don't run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
0: by "side rules," so you just mean paying people?
1: Yeah, but then, I thought that there was also like some like issues about like crediting them, like and like mm-hmm. probably like doing like a yeah. like a credit reel at the end of the video, which we don't do usually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it wasn't just payment. Yeah, because we do pay like people when they do some kind of like contracting for a video.
3: Yes. So I I'm working on an assumption which may be incorrect, so please correct me if that's yes. wrong. I get the sense your cultural cartography informed that first sort of strip of the uh you know MVD on no, jazz. Um
1: this this has been there pretty much since like oh eight, oh nine, and cultural cartography has only like been a recent thing for the last like two or two, actually the last year. So And how do you guys build your cultural map? Is it, is it
3: purely like looking at the numbers on the posts that you had dogs in, and you say now dogs have this kind of impact like
1: and yeah I mean in a way it's kind of like that um, like again always coupling that with like the quality of engagement like, like so for example I have sex content gets a lot of views but gets no engagement what we've seen for like YouTube data for example is that people are just are basically scrubbing through the video looking for actual sex acts. <laughs> don't see any, because the comp- the video is just about sex and talking about sex, but there actually is no sex. So people get disappointed that there's no sex, and then they don't talk about it, or they don't share it, and then they bounce. So, yeah, so, like, we have to, we always have to couple it with, like, the quality of engagement, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same thought as well. <laughs> yes? I'm just looking at the website
2: like now. There's a listicle or whatever. Yeah.
3: And it's sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah. So to first of all just curiously it's written by Pfizer, and then how does it affect what you do and also want to ramp up is branded lines, that just generally does that have any effect on
1: viewership? Yeah. Um uh, I mean, yeah. So it's like we've had you know some interesting results there. Yeah. So when it says it's like kind of like sponsored by Pfizer, like basically Buzzfeed wrote the post, but then Pfizer paid to have their name next to it. Um, you know, that's basically kind of like almost like one of the gems of native advertising in a nutshell. Um, and also because it's like you know when like we always want to control the editorial voice as much as possible, so that does kind of involve Buzzfeed writing pretty much all of it, and then the advertiser just kind of slips in at the end and approves it whether or not they want it with aligned with their brand, and then that's what we do. Um, yeah, in terms of like, yeah, I mean, obviously our ad posts, like, you know, don't, you know, like, don't get a sort of like, you know, so the same kind of level of virality of, of traffic, but, you know, we're still kind of working on that. Because really, like, what we've seen with advertisers is, again, they also kind of care about, like, that spread, being like, oh, it's like, and we, we tell advertisers this way, where it's like, you know, don't worry about the BuzzFeed.com number, worry about, like, the Facebook number, worry about the Twitter number. Um, and that, that's ultimately what advertisers will be happy about. Um, and so, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we still, we consider it, but when we're, we're thinking about viewership, but again, since editorial and this business side of Busby kind of, like, you know, stay divorced within that discussion, you know, they obviously, you know, try to keep themselves apart. Yes. How does BuzzFeed make money? Native advertising.
2: Well, like, can you just yeah. talk about, like, the different, the different ways, and also, like, I know you're saying they stay divorced, but at the end of the day,
1: an editor fails one way and adds people fail one way, win. Uh, <laughs> Y'all really care about advertising. Um, yeah, I mean so it's like in terms of like how we package that, like yeah, we basically will um, we'll tell basically being like, you know, we'll make you this, we'll write you this post, we'll publish it, uh, you know, we'll basically offer you like maybe a post, some promo time on distribute on distributed channels. Um, maybe we'll make you also a video. So, like, we're, you know, the package includes, like, basically, like, a number of pieces of content. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, you know, that, like, editorial versus business construction, I mean, yeah, it differs every time, right? Because, it, you know, it's depends on the subject matter. Um, yeah. Uh, like, I haven't heard, I mean, there's, I haven't heard too much attention about that. You know, usually it's kind of like, they try to, like, you know, talk, like, amicably amongst about it, but it's like, yeah, it's like, different, yeah, it, the different side with
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Walter. Everybody give (laughs) Walter a round of applause.